Our sermon text today is found in Psalm 34. This is a psalm of David, the superscript says, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. There must be a story there. Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste. And see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions are weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks and praise for this psalm recorded so many centuries ago and preserved through the ages so that we might hear it here today and so that many others might hear it and read it today and other days throughout all years. We give you thanks that we can turn to you and that you can hear us when we call out to you for help. And we pray that in these moments, that that direction would be reversed, that we would be sensitive to your voice, that we would listen for you this hour, even as we cry out to you for help. 
Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Fear is a powerful motivator. Someone once said that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, which is profound on one level, but a little bit reductive on another level. There are things that we do fear. There are people that we are afraid of. There are situations, circumstances that we are afraid of. We might fear harm or death or misfortune. We might fear looking bad in front of other people. We might fear public speaking or heights. That's me, by the way. Used to be good with heights, but I'm not anymore. It's, whew, it's bad. You might fear drowning. There's a, a new fear that you might have heard of uh, that's kind of popular in, in modern culture, the fear of missing out. Um, when, when the newest gadget comes out or the newest movie comes out, uh, I, I haven't heard what happens to Han Solo. Spoiler alert, sorry. If you haven't seen that other Star Wars movie, it's a little bit late, right, Shane? You know what happens to Han Solo. Uh, but the fear of missing out can be very real if you want to be included in what the popular culture is doing. Uh, very different kinds of fear, right? But fear can be a very powerful motivator because of how it influences us to think of ourselves and think of our environment and how it influences us to behave in relationship with others. One of the strongest ways that fear causes us to think and behave differently is in creating an us versus them mentality, especially when we're talking about being afraid of someone or a group of people, perhaps. Uh, there, there's a wall that we, divide, that we build in our, in our minds and our spirits to say we need to be sort of separate from the people who might do us harm, whatever that situation might be. And it's something that serves to sort of distance us. And there are a number of ways that we go about distancing ourselves in those kinds of scenarios. Um, our responses to fear, you might have heard the phrase fight or flight, right? There's a, there's a response, a natural response that we have when we are threatened in a very tangible way either to flee the scene, which is one way of separating yourself from the scenario, putting physical distance between you and the thing that is threatening you, or the fight response. You might flee or you might fight. And fighting is another way of provi providing some kind of distance between you and a person. Or, or not, not physically necessarily, but there's a, a combative sort of distance where you're trying to defend yourself in whatever the situation might be. There's another response other than fight or flight, and there's the freeze response, right? If you're in a situation of fear, you might just deer in headlights sort of thing. Um, this morning, we, let our, we have a new puppy at our house. His name is Copper, uh, and he's not trained to our electric fence yet. So when we take him out, he's very sight-hound-ish oriented. Um, he, he's, when we take him out, he's always on leash. I took him out this morning first thing, and there were three or four deer out uh, in the field just beside where the vegetable garden is, and they were deer in headlightsing it, staring at this animal, and his, uh, he, he froze and looked at them. It was really funny. I knew it was going to happen. Um, he, he thought, either friends or food. I'm not sure which it was, but uh, he, his hackles were raised, his ridge kind of elevated. It was really interesting, and he just tore off after them. The leash retracted, and then I, you know, braced for impact because that leash was going to be tested. It held, 
thankfully. Um, but uh, those deer did not stick around for very long. They, they froze for a little bit, but then, you know, they, they saw the wisdom of fleeing when, uh, when danger was in the area. However we respond to fear in our lives, fear serves to isolate ourselves from other people. Whether we're fleeing or fighting back, we are separating from others in some capacity. And in that way, fear can be a very lonely feeling. When you're afraid, it might feel like the whole world is out to get you. We're exploring the idea of the dark night of the soul in our fall journals this season, this month. And this dark night of the soul is one way of thinking about this, this isolation from other folks when we, are, uh, when we are stuck in our fears and our troubles. And it's an isolation not just from other people, but it can be an isolation from God too. When we are so troubled or afraid by the situations in our lives, we might close ourselves off, not just from those around us, but even from the God who created us and loves us. But the Christian spiritual life is not about avoiding fear or escaping fear. The reason we're talking about fear today is not to find six steps to eliminate fear from your life. No, fear is very normal and it's part of our lives and it doesn't need to be eliminated. The Christian spiritual life is about living abundantly with God and with others in the midst of those fears. This kind of spiritually abundant life is found by those who seek the loving presence of God. This kind of spiritually abundant life helps us move from fear that isolates us to refuge that builds community. We're transforming from an isolating fear to a community building refuge. So let's explore that idea a little bit by looking at Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is based on a really brief and actually kind of unclear story. Uh, It's found in 1 Samuel 21, uh, verses 10 through 15. It's a very short story. Summarize it here for you. The king, the author of this psalm, has been anointed king. Remember, last week we saw him when he was anointed king, but not yet king. Saul was still king, and the situation is still the case here. Saul was no friend of David's, even though he was David's father-in-law, right? He perceived David to be a threat to his reign, and so he sought to have David killed on a number of occasions, and David was understandably afraid for his life. And at this point in his story, in 1 Samuel 21, David is being hunted by Saul, and he flees the, the land and goes to a neighboring people group called Gath, the people of Gath, where their king, named Achish, is in charge. Now that's how 1 Samuel records it. The king's name is Achish. Here in Psalm 34, it says he, was, uh, he pretended to be insane before Abimelech. There's a little bit of a discrepancy there. It could be that Abimelech was a title, sort of king of the land, and his name was Achish. Whatever. The, the, the story is David was uh, taking refuge in the land of Gath, but the people realized pretty quickly that this is an important dude. Um, 
the, the Israelites were all in favor of David being their king. Saul had slain his thousands, but David had slain his ten thousands, and this posed a problem for David. It's not clear in 1 Samuel why, but apparently Achish and some of the other Gathians wanted to do David harm while he was there because they realized he was an important potential leader of maybe their neighboring enemy people group. So David comes up with this idea to act insane in the presence of King Achish to sort of distract the attention from him. Don't worry about him. He's just crazy. So he claws the the wooden doorposts and makes scratches on the doors and lets his saliva run down his beard. I mean, he's just, he's going all out acting just crazy so that they don't do anything to him. He acted like a madman, First Samuel says. And it worked. I don't know if this counts as a fight or flight response, one or the other, but they let him go. They quit pursuing David and that threat quickly disappeared and David moved on to other threats in his life. It's in that context that David writes this psalm, 34. This is one of several psalms that is an acrostic psalm. It doesn't come through in English because it wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew. And in this psalm, it's almost 100% true that each verse begins with the next successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If we knew Hebrew and saw it in Hebrew, we'd pick up on that. It's kind of like verse number one starts with the letter A, a word that begins with A. Verse number two begins with the letter B and so on, all the way through 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are two major themes in this psalm. One is past-oriented and very personal, and the other is present-oriented and meant for the community. The first theme is thankfulness and praise for God's deliverance in the past. God had delivered David from King Achish. And then the second theme is a call for the people of God to trust God in their present difficult times. The past uh, deliverance is described in really generic terms in this psalm. It doesn't refer to King Achish or anything that happened there. It just says, the Lord delivered me from my troubles. The Lord saved me from all my fears. It's meant to be very open and very welcoming so that people can identify with that psalm. Uh, it's very broad on purpose. People can join in with David celebrating God's deliverance. Or they can listen to these testimonies of David. God delivered me from my difficulties, saved me from those who wanted to do me harm. Uh, they can listen to those testimonies during their own dark nights of the soul. And there's wisdom in this, in how David approaches this, a, a really deep wisdom. The psalmist does not tell us how God saves us from our troubles. He just says that he does. It doesn't describe what that process looks like. It doesn't say how God provides refuge for God's people. Somehow, the psalmist has made it to the other side of the dark night. Somehow. And the light has begun to dawn. It's one thing to trust and praise God after the light has begun to dawn. It's another thing to trust and praise God while it's still dark outside. Psalm 34 promises 
That God will deliver those who pursue him. That God is close to the brokenhearted. This psalm speaks into that dark night with a truth, with a wisdom that is beyond human truth, human wisdom. This is a divine presence that God offers to those that are in the dark night of the soul. The psalm does not offer a a recipe for eliminating fear from our lives. It doesn't show us how to get rid of trouble or hardship. Instead, it offers a transformation, shifting our attention from our fears and troubles to the fear of the Lord. The number of times this psalm says that we should fear the Lord. We should be afraid somehow of the Lord. What does this mean? The fear of the Lord has to do with a deep respect for God. It has to do with profound awe or a recognition that God is God and we are not. It's a fear that is at the same time aware that God is able to destroy whatever he wants, but, at, but also an awareness that God shows love and compassion to whomever God wants. There's a, a commentator that, I, that wrote part of a commentary that I use in preparation for sermons. His name is Rolf Jacobson, and he wrote these words about the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord is simultaneously both to tremble in dread anticipation and to tremble in joyous anticipation. And I like that mixture of, of emotions and responses. To fear the Lord is to tremble in dread anticipation of what God might do because God is that big and that powerful and that mighty. But also to tremble in joyous anticipation because God is that big and that powerful and that mighty and that loving. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The phrase the fear of the Lord appears most frequently in the book of Proverbs of all the books of scripture. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Uh, It also appears in a couple of other books, the Psalms and the Ecclesiastes, right around uh, the book of Proverbs. These are all called books of wisdom in the Old Testament. Uh, The fear of the Lord leads to life, Scripture says, and then one rests content, untouched by trouble. The, The very last verse of the book of Ecclesiastes says, that, uh, or the very, one of the near the last verses, uh, says that the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep God's commandments, for this is our whole duty. To fear God is part of the ancient Jewish wisdom tradition. It's a way of interpreting the world with God at the center. This wisdom tradition that that uh, David and, and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are part of, is comfortable with mystery, with uncertainty, ambiguity, unknowing. It's comfortable with resting in the dark night of the soul and knowing that God is present in the midst of it. To fear the Lord is the most crucial thing to do when you are in that kind of uh, dark place. Now, Jesus picked up on this wisdom tradition when he came around and he transformed it. He reshaped it in his own teachings. Jesus did not talk so much about the fear of the Lord. 
Instead, he talked a whole lot about the kingdom of God, the reign of God, which is sort of a similar idea. If God is so big and so mighty and powerful that we should fear him, well, we should understand that we are in his kingdom, his reign, his rule, just the same. It's a really very similar idea. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God in many ways that are sort of ambiguous and mysterious and leaving us with uh, more food for thought. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. The kingdom of God is like a tree in whose branches all the birds of the air take refuge. Jesus understood that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And he shaped that fear, that wisdom, in the context of the, his teachings of the kingdom of God. Now, if fear and trouble in the dark night of our soul serve to isolate us from God and from other people, then the fear of the Lord, or living into the kingdom of God, this path of wisdom, connects us to God and to others. The transformation that's taking place in this psalm and in Jesus' teachings, it's a transformation from isolating fear to connecting wisdom in the reign and fear of God. The transformation is from being isolated by fear to being connected to God and others. And we see that show up in this psalm. It's not just I language in Psalm 34. It's not just me. God has done this for me. No, the psalm says multiple times, let us exalt God's name together. Taste and see that the Lord is good, which is kind of a strange thing for us to say. But if you think of it in terms of shared community meals, church people love to eat together. We always have. And there's a reason for that. A very good scriptural, theological, ancient reason for that. When people brought their offerings to the Lord, their sacrificial offerings, animals and grains and things, these often turned into meals for the community. Often meals for the priests and all that, yes, but there were, there were sacrificial offerings that turned into community potluck meals. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So every time that we get together for a meal that's shared around tables, we're not just breaking down barriers to say that we can all sit at the same table and all of us are equal in God's eyes. We're also tasting and seeing that God is good. Because we're providing these sacrifices of thanksgiving to the Lord. And in a bodily way, we take in what is wonderful and amazing in this world's creation. I will remind you of JR's note that I like chocolate. (laughs) Taste and see that this chocolate is amazing. (laughs) Fear the Lord, you his saints. Back to Psalm 34. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It's very communal, very connecting. The Lord redeems his servants, not just me, but his servants. When we experience fear, we tend to isolate ourselves from God and from others. But when we fear God, when we seek wisdom, when we live abundantly, when we pursue the loving presence of God, then we are invited to take refuge in God's love a love that we share in faithful community with others. 
It's no wonder, then, that Jesus summarized all of the Old Testament commandments when they asked him, what's the most important command? Jesus pointed out two of them. Love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love others, love your neighbor as yourself. These are connecting commands. They're not isolating commands. This uh, month, I'm reading through a book titled The Dark Night of the Soul. Um, You might not find that a coincidence that I'm reading through this particular book in a series that's focused on trusting God in the dark night of the soul. This book is written by Gerald May, um, who is a psychiatrist. He's passed away now, but he lived in the 20th century. Um, And he explores the connections between, um, the subtitle is, Exploring the Connection Between Darkness and Spiritual Growth. And there's a passage that I read this week that I'd like to share. My emphasis here has been on how the dark night liberates desire by diminishing attachment. The immediate result is an expansion of human freedom. Freedom, however, is not an end in itself. It is not just freedom from something. It must also be freedom for something. In the spiritual life, Freedom is for nothing other than love. Human beings exist because of love. And the meaning and goal of our lives is love. In Christian understanding, everything that is authentic in the spiritual life points toward the increasing fulfillment of the two great commandments to love God and other people in a completely unfettered way. When God, that's the end of the quotation, when God provides freedom for us from fear, it's not just for the sake of being free from fear. It's a freedom so we can love God and others. God's desire is not for us to live in a fear of people or circumstances that separate and isolate, but a fear of God that draws us into this peaceful kingdom of God and is marked by this freedom for love. So I'll remind you, as we close here, of a goal that, uh, that struck my heart and I communicated to you, was it last week or the week before? Uh, a goal for us by the end of the year, perhaps, to have, I think it was two weeks ago now that I think about it, uh, have identified in each of our lives a Paul and a Timothy figure. We were looking at a passage from 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy now, if I think right. My memory is working overtime here. Uh, But the relationship between Paul and Timothy that we explored was one of a mentor and a mentee, I guess. Uh, Someone who would lead and someone who would be led. And I communicated then, and I'll communicate again now, that I believe it's important for each of us to have someone that we can look up to in our lives, someone that can mentor us, someone that can lead us, regardless of our age, regardless of our spiritual maturity, position in life, whatever. We can each benefit by having someone in our lives that can call out the good in us and call out the bad in us and help us to grow and to move forward. 
to have a Paul figure in our lives, but it's equally important for each of us to have a Timothy figure in our lives, someone that we are Paul for, someone that we look toward and can, can call out the good and call out the bad and, and help to grow and to, to mature. Um, it's, it's equally important for us to have one hand reaching up and one hand reaching down, so to speak, so that we can be connected, so that we can love each other and so that we can all grow together. Uh, in this work of the kingdom of God. So I remind you of that goal to ask this question, who can help you to grow in your fear of the Lord? Maybe that's another way of thinking about this Paul character in your life. Who in your world can help you grow in your fear of God? Who can help you seek the kingdom or pursue wisdom or live abundantly? And then who can you help to do these very things? I'm going to keep talking about this goal and encourage you to keep praying about it and thinking about it and leaning toward finding a Paul and a Timothy in your life. And um, I would encourage you to take the risk of reaching out to those people and making it formal and intentional to say out loud with this person, I want to meet with you once a month so that we can talk about spiritual things or however you best phrase that. But to to name it, to make it intentional, to say this is the the journey that I would like to be on with you, whatever that dynamic is, whatever that relationship is, to make that formal and to to, to actually say it out loud, to not just kind of wander into it, but to, to take the initiative to say this is the growth that I want to see happen in my life, in your life, in our life together. If you can identify fears in your life, troubles from your past from which God has uh, delivered you, then like Psalm 34, I encourage you to find a way to boast in the Lord publicly. Let people know how God has delivered you from those things. And if you are stuck presently in fears and troubles, if you are stuck in that dark night of the soul, then seek the Lord, as the psalm encourages us. Fear the Lord, pursue God along with others, perhaps even with this Paul figure that you might identify for your own life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's grow into that fear together. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you that you alone are worthy of our praise and that you alone are worthy of our fear. And as we, uh, as we sit with this psalm this week, as we think on how, uh, how reliable and sure you are to bring deliverance from all our fears and troubles, We pray that you would meet us in the midst of our fears and troubles presently and that uh, you would use our testimonies of your goodness to help others through their fears and troubles as well. Grow within us a, a desire to have a healthy fear of you, to live in your kingdom, to pursue your wisdom. Help us to know that grace and love which is fellowship and relationship and forgiveness and abundance of life in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, our Savior, and our hope 
for this life and for the life to come. We give you thanks for this psalm and all that it teaches us. We pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts throughout all the days this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.